Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, listeners. Tim Sylvie here. Today, we're joined by a man currently living his best life as one of the current crop of Formula E drivers. But first, I need to head through the airwaves to introduce today's co-host and I'm delighted to say that once again we're joined by the affable YouTube star Formula One content creator all-round good guy and actually a friend of McLaren today because they <laughs> tweeted about him Tom McCluskey how are you? Friends in higher places now Tim I'm getting a bit too big you know this head's big enough as it is so if you, if you you're barely see. fitting in the screen I know exactly. Good thing most people are listening via audio, or good audio <laughs> platforms, of course. Um, now, pleasure to be back, mate. Um, it's been a busy uh, start of the season for me because I like to give myself a lot of work to do, redesigning all the F1 liveries. But um, yeah, pleasure to be back, mate. Chatting as per. And McLaren did actually tweet about you today, didn't they? Yeah, I did. I did a redesign. I went to the launch on Monday, and uh, I got to chat with Lou McEwen, who's kind of uh, exec director of brand and marketing, all about liveries. So it was a yeah, really good chat actually. Um, and it was nice to get yeah that kind of exposure um, to the team and them to kind of return the return the favor, return the compliment. So yeah, man, it's uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying my work at the minute. It's uh, yeah, living the dream. Celebrity status. Well, shall I introduce today's guest? <laughs> Go for it, buddy. So today we're joined by Jake Hughes. With over a decade of racing experience behind him, Jake's joined the Neil McLaren Formula E team for its debut season as he lines up against some truly great names in the racing world. His rise to the top is even more remarkable when you consider he didn't race karts competitively until he was almost old enough to legally hold a pint in public. His rise is nothing short of miraculous. We're here to talk about his life career, thoughts and opinions. Jake, a very, very warm welcome to the Motormouth podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, guys. That was a very nice intro. Talking about egos and growing them, that's grown mine massively today. So needed that little boost. Good stuff, man. Where are you Where are you joining us from today? Your background's not giving too much away. I'm in my kitchen. Um, in my kitchen at home, just uh, at home alone at the moment. So nothing special. Um, I, it's, it's, it's weird being a racing driver sometimes because you can be so flat out and traveling at the racetrack. And then when you have your off days, you are really on an off day 
like everyone's at work, like all my family are at work, girlfriends at work, and I'm just sat in my kitchen by myself. So, so it can be sometimes a little bit lonely, but I've got my cat somewhere next to me, so that'll do. Ah, uh, you got your cat. Everyone needs a cat in their life. I've got two, and I'm about to get a dog to ruin their lives forever. But there we go. Now, you, you're um, you're you're Birmingham, um, I believe, and so that presumably makes you an Aston Villa fan. So that that's obviously a daily challenge that you have to live with. How do you cope being a Villa fan? You are correct that just living in Birmingham means I am absolutely an Aston Villa fan. We won't get that wrong. Um, yeah, it's a struggle, man. Honestly, it's a struggle. I always, I was joking when um, England were in the, obviously got knocked out by France in, in the quarters in the World Cup. I was joking with my dad saying, why did you make me support Aston Villa? Because I've seen no success in football in my whole life. I've, you know, I was born in, in 94 and I've seen no trophy by England or Aston Villa. So it's, it's a struggle, man. Considering it was my, before racing, it was my main and only sport really until I was 16. Um, so, you know, that, had, that love hasn't just gone away. Um, so I'm always desperate to see some success and I just can't get any, unfortunately. Mate, I, I know that I, I'm the London West, um, the Claret and Blue, West Ham, and I, I think our clubs have had very kind of similar trajectories in, in our lifetimes. So, um, what, what's, how do you, do you, are you able to make much time for football? Because obviously your life is, must be so consumed by motorsport. It must be difficult to find time for, to, to follow that. I, I find that difficult, to be honest now. It is, it is a bit difficult, to be honest, because, you know, the odd weekend that I do have um, free, if Villa are playing away, for example, then I've got absolutely no chance of going. If they're playing at home, well, we normally sat out anyway. And also, my girlfriend's a, a teacher, so she's always working on, on midweek. So the, if, we get, if we get a weekend together where I'm not racing, it's a bit harsh of me to then say, do you know what, I'm going to go down and spend four or five hours on my Saturday, go down Villa Park when we only get two days to see each other each week. And then I'm off on Monday to another racetrack. So it is a bit difficult. Um, I did manage to go to, before the World Cup, to Brighton away where we won. Um, but yeah, I'd probably go to four or five games a season, I'd say, max. Um, I'd like to go to a lot more, but it's always on short notice when I'm, when I'm, when I'm realised I can go. And then, like I said, tickets are not easily available at Villa. Now, let's take it all the way back to the start, Jake, and, and focus on motorsport. You were 15, I believe, when you started in karts. Why so late and what sparked getting into a cart at that late stage? Yeah, I think my first sort of test in the cart was 15. I think my first race I was 16. Um, it, was, it was very close. So I'd only, if, if I'd only just turned 16, maybe, I think. It's a long time ago now, but something like that. Um, and yeah, to be honest, I found it by accident. I found it completely by accident. Um, I'd always loved sort of cars in general like hot wheels as a kid and always liked supercars always watched top gear that's that you know that sort of stuff but no one in my family at all has had any interest in motorsport so naturally i never found it through my parents or even my friends um i started watching formula one in 2007 only because lewis came on the scene and he was all over the news obviously as a rookie and um, you know, winning races from McLaren in his first season and him being on the news was the only thing that got me watching motorsport in the first place in Formula One, obviously. Um, but I only, I, it was three years later, two and a half, three years later, did I have the first idea that I actually wanted to do it. And like I said, it came completely by accident. It was, I went to a local karting track in, in West Bromwich in, in north of Birmingham, um, just with some friends. And the, the, the guy that owned the track there had assumed I'd done it before, um, to which I'd said I'd you know, never done it before. I probably once a year went to like a, 
a 15 minute arrive and drive carting one on the family holiday um somewhere in spain no no doubt that that was it and he said oh, i think you should give it a go then and it, it it sort of developed from there i literally searched on google that night um local go-karting teams and one came up for andy cox racing in, in bromsgrove in south birmingham and, and the rest is history kind of from there mate that is that's mad like now that you're so engrossed in the motorsport world, and there is this assumption that if you want to be a professional racing driver, you have to start in carts when you're like four or five or six or seven, and, and then you know start racing actually when you're eight onwards. And you you started fifteen, sixteen. Like a, I mean that must I'm sure to, to some people watching who think you know there might be thirteen, fourteen, and they might have given up. There is a chance, and also, do you think your story is a bit of an anomaly? Are most drivers um, starting at eight, nine, ten, or are there more people like you who did start a little bit later than, than maybe we give credit for? Just on the second part of that question, first, I think there is more and more people sort of realizing, you know, mid-teens that they, that they can and maybe have the ability, um, you know, whether it be just talent-wise or even the financial means to be able to go out and attempt it. Um, I think it's just it, it, it's no doubt a little bit harder for someone who's starting a little bit later to you know to get to a position where I am, for example. I think that's that's just a little bit inevitable because you're sort of learning learning your trade and making your mistakes when you're fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, rather than you know when you're seven, eight, nine, ten before anyone even knows your name and before you're even racing in you know senior level British national karting championships in your first or second season. So it, it's, it's, you know, you don't have the, the luxury to sort of, yeah, make those mistakes and learn those lessons before you have to sort of start getting on with it. And that, that's something I realized very quickly is that, you know, I was in, I think I was 17 when I was in, um, Super One, the, the National British Casting Championship in my first year. And I was already racing against, you know, Michael Simpson, Tom Fawcett, Mark Litchfield, who, if anyone knows karting at all, they're like top names won European World Championships, British Championships galore. And there's me, you know, second year in karting, having to go out and try and beat them. Whereas if you're in, you know, cadet karting and eight or nine years old, everyone's on the same playing field. Everyone's learning at the same rate. So you aren't afforded that level of luxury to, to make those mistakes as much if you want to get on as quickly. Um, but that being said, I think coming back to your first part of the question, I think there's absolutely the all the, you know, if, if you have the means to be able to go and attempt it and you love the sport, to be honest, in any form of life, if you love something, you really want to give it a go, go and give it a go if you have the, if you have the opportunity to do it. You know, don't go into it with the expectation or the, the means that if you don't get to Formula One or, if you, you know, you don't get any further than two or three years down the line of it, that it's a disaster and it was not worth trying, you know, go and give it a go. See if you enjoy it first and foremost. Um, if you're, you get some results and, and you have the financial means to, to carry on with it, then then that's it. But if if you don't, then just enjoying it and having fun with your mates at the local go karting club is is fine. You know, it's 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 a great way and a great way to spend your weekend with your family as well. But you you must have had or you must have realised that you had a certain amount of natural ability because starting so late and then going on to the BRDC Formula Four Championship in 2013, which is you know even at that stage is a competitive championship and you know you're in a a powerful single seater machine but you you won it how did that feel did you sort of think jesus this is this just comes to me this is easy i've got i've got this 
I got this nailed. Um, or, or how did it? How did you get that good that quickly? I've got to be honest. I I I think until I won Formula Four, and I've I've touched on this over the years with, with various people. Until I won Formula Four, I don't think I realised I was actually that good. Um, it, it sounds weird to say. It. I think I was just sort of going off natural instinct, natural ability. You know, I won some races in karting and finished in the top five in in senior uh, British karting championship twice. But you know, I never really understood if it was some, you know I was good enough to be able to get to where I've got to now, especially. Um, and I we we you know I got to nineteen I think it was or eighteen nineteen and we had to decide right well do I continue in karting is the, is this something that's gonna you know uh, you know at the same time. If you're at that age where you're considering whether to go to university, um, you know whether you stay in, in motorsport or whether you go down another sort of yeah path in your in, in your life, and we sort of looked at it me and my me and my family and said, well, you know, why don't we just give it a go in, in car racing for one year and and see how it goes, and it would have it would have probably ended after that season, you know, if I'd finished eleventh, twelfth in the championship or whatever, I'm pretty sure that my career would have ended in 2013. Um, I'm not even sure if I was if I was even third or fourth in the championship, whether it would have continued. So I just sort of entered it with blissful, you know, unawareness or, or yeah, not knowing how, how I was going to do um, and then won it. And I got onto the um, McLaren Autosport Young Driver of the Year Award that year. Um, if you know that, that award, the um, now it's called the Aston Martin Young Driver Award. And I remember being interviewed by one of the judges and I said to him, like, I was almost surprised to get picked. Um, and now that I, I, I look back at it now and think how, like, naive I was to think that I could say that and and or that, I, that I even thought to say that, really, because I just won the, the British Formula 4 Championship. And there's me thinking, um, you know, I wasn't expecting to get onto the Young Driver of the Year Award. Um, and I think from that point onwards, my my expectation and my confidence in myself just grew because I realised that's where I did deserve to be. Um, and winning the championship and getting on the the Young Driver Award just just sort of cemented it in my mind that okay, I have the I have the ability to go out and make a career out of this now. So I want that's what I want to go and do, sort of thing. How did you um, find that transition from karts to? To Formula Four because I imagine lots of drivers, you know, some adapt really quickly, some take a bit more time, and I don't know. Maybe the fact that you hadn't had years and years and years in carts, maybe that helped you in a way. I don't know. That's the theory I'm putting out there. Yeah, potentially, potentially. Um, I've never really sort of again. I, I, I don't think I, I truthfully know the answer as to why I sort of got on with the single seater so quickly. Um, you know, I was sort of nineteen, eighteen, nineteen, and I was going up against guys that. Uh, okay, only two or three years younger than me now, but had had one or two years already in single seaters in I think Formula Renault and and maybe a Formula Four championship elsewhere as well. So they had a little bit of a head start on me. And yeah, I I I, I think I had uh, numerous tests towards the second half of 2012 in an old Formula Renault car, and and it was a big jump. I do remember thinking that you know slicks and wings and and driving without trying to trust the aerodynamics of the car the brake shape that you needed to apply it was all completely different to a go-kart um and it did take a, it did take a fair amount of test days to sort of get to a decent level but going into again going into the formula four season i was again blissfully unaware i just didn't i just came i did what came natural to me 
Um, I had a great team with Lannan Racing that year, who then won the championship the year after me with George Russell. Um, and I, I just sort of drove on instinct and everything came natural. I think I got pole in the first race at Silverstone. Um, and I don't know, I think it, I've always found that in car racing, the, higher, the, the bigger the car, the bigger the power, the more downforce that I've gone to, that I've sort of naturally got on quite well with it. And maybe that was the, a similar sort of story going from karts to, to, to Formula 4. And with, with that mindset, you know, that sort of taking it in your stride and, you know, finding it relatively natural to make that progression from karts into Formula 4, did you feel the same when you were going up through the, the other junior categories through F3 into F2, which is becoming a serious machine at that point? Did you still feel relatively comfortable as you made those steps? Yeah, I think, you know, like I said so far, I think up until the point where I won Formula 4, I was I was this... You know, I wasn't this young kid because I was eight. I was nineteen when I won Formula Four, but I was, you know, mentally at least or confidence-wise, a little bit of a young kid in in some ways. Um, you know, I just didn't know. How, I guess how good I was. But from like I said, from the moment I won Formula Four, everything changed in terms of how I held myself, how I carried myself, what I expected of myself. Um, and from twenty fourteen onwards, it's always been about in my head that I can win in absolutely any car I can I can drive and absolutely any championship I can go in. And I've carried that um, with me since. So when I went into Formula Renault and Formula 3, and, then, and like you said, then eventually into Formula 2, I never entered those championships with any other expectation that I would be able to win races and, and, and hopefully championships given given the right scenario. It's a little bit of a different um, story in Formula 3 and, and especially Formula 2 compared to national level Formula 4, where when you're sort of in... in BRDCF4 in 2013 the the differences between the teams and the difference and therefore what the driver can influence is is more let's say on the the positive end of that spectrum but when you go up to Formula 3 and Formula 2 it, the, the gap between teams becomes a little bit bigger you need to be with the better teams to do that you need the big money and it's something I whilst I had the privilege to be able to start motorsport and get to where I've got to um, in the first place I wasn't ever in a position financially to compete with those kind of drivers. So whilst I've gone into Formula 3 and Formula 2 with the expectation that I can win, it was a bit difficult sometimes in, in small periods through, through that, especially four or five year period from sort of 2016 to, to 2022, where I felt like I was better than the guys I was racing. Just, just you know, that's what we're like as racing drivers. You know, I felt like I was good enough to win those championships, but it was just never in the, the position to be able to go and do it, which is actually when you look when I when you look back and I look back, it's the complete opposite of what I found in Formula Four, where I had the the, the means to go out and win the championship. But I did, just didn't believe I could, which you know it's complete opposite. Yeah, we've had numerous drivers on here, and we've we've talked um, a bunch of times about the whole securing of funds and the the stuff that goes on off track in order to keep you racing. And how have you? How did you find? that side of things you know did you feel like there was support around you or did you have to try and kind of work out a lot of that on your own because I guess it kind of goes one of two ways yeah it, it's tough honestly um you know the, the the especially the older I got as well you know the the you the more you're the that sort of evil uh voice in the back of your mind is sort of saying you know if it doesn't work out what are you going to do kind of thing um and I always tried to not listen to that, but it, it's inevitable at some point if if you're not getting the sort of drivers because you don't have the financial means 
you're sort of spending, especially sort of winter time around Christmas and New Year, just sort of second guessing what's going to happen next year because you don't have drives in place. I, me, typically, I didn't have drives in place until sort of February most times of the season, um, you know, approach, approaching those seasons. So I, I, I have an extremely strong um, base with my family and my friends and now my girlfriend that, that have always sort of, you know, kept me on the on the straight and narrow. Um, but it, it's tough for you. Since 2016 was the last year I was able to sort of, um, through, through family and sponsors, to be able to pay for racing. And ever since then, it was, it was whatever drive I could get kind of thing. Um, fortunately, you know, I was always given good drives that I could win races with, you know, whether it be high tech in Formula 3 and then, you know, HWA in Formula 3, for example, that those were cars where I could win races with and, and to have strong performances, but I was never in the position to be able to consistently, you know, fight over the course of a season to be able to deliver a championship, and and that's tough, you know, because in in junior categories, the the sort of the 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 you know the people in the sport that that influence your career in a, in a positive or negative way, they only really look at the you know the end results of the championship. They look at the the champion. They look at the the second place, the third place. If he was a rookie, if he was not. You know, and then there's me in Formula Three. Whilst I felt like performing really well in my fourth year of HWA, finishing seventh in the championship. You know, it's it's I can dress that up as much as I want in terms of me, and I did to various team bosses around the world, sort of trying to say, look, it's more, I'm better than that. I did a very good performance. Look where I was to my teammates, that sort of thing. At the same time, I'm sort of a seventh as a fourth year in the championship. So, what? How are you going to really get on with get on from that effectively? Um, so I started to start looking a bit different um, in terms of, you know, where I want to be, um, what I think is realistic to achieve in terms of my career and how I was going to go about Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Doing that, so and that's sort of something I, I realized, I, I would say, in tw- late 2018, early 19, in terms of where I wanted to target in motorsport. And then, obviously, 
things change again and Formula E comes calling and obviously in more recent history, McLaren come calling. How does an opportunity like that come about? Where, Under what scenario does a phone call or an email or whatever it is come from a, a giant like McLaren? And then how do you react to that? Was it, what, do you remember the feeling you or the emotions you felt the first time you realised that this could actually be a realistic possibility that you'd end up in, a, in an actual McLaren racing car? Yeah, I had I had the inkling or the the I think the idea that it was I think it was the best it got and, and, until I found out that I was actually got the drivers about fifty fifty um, between uh, me and another driver. Um, already, that was like for me, you know, that's that's a great chance, like fifty fifty to be able to drive for McLaren. That's like I've never had those odds before in in my career, something like that. But when I actually found out, I'd probably say about two weeks after that point, I was I was on holiday um, with my girlfriend. We were in Greece and I got a phone call from my manager and just sort of said, yeah, Ian and McLaren, um, they want to give you your chance. And it was, <laughs> you know, my manager knows me so I can let my guard down a little bit, but I had to like fight the urge just to scream a little bit. Um, and it's it's a weird one, you know, because I'm very, I'm, I feel like I'm very level-headed and very sort of, you know, I have more than enough confidence in my own ability now. So on one side of the coin, I was like, yeah, that's what I deserve. And I know I'm good enough for it. On the other side of the coin, I know exactly how it looks, the outside world. Not not necessarily how it looks, the outside world, but how unlikely that it is for someone like me, you know, considering what I've just explained, how my Formula 3 and Formula 2 seasons went. And, and to get that opportunity is very, you know, out there in some ways. So... Just knowing that, even despite my comp- my innate confidence in myself, it, it it did sort of the emotions did come very strong when I, when I got that phone call. Um, but in terms of how it came about, you know, a lot of people will just look at it on the surface and go, you know, how did you go from finishing, you know, like I said, seventh in, in two years in a row in F three, and then fighting for like, you know, just barely scoring points in F two half the time to get in the seat for McLaren in F E. And I guess if you don't really look at my career. And, and what I was sort of telling people along the lines, uh, along those years, um, you you would deduce that, that it looks a bit strange in some ways. But like I sort of alluded to earlier, it's been my goal since 2018, actually. Um, you know, I, I did the, the rookie test uh, for Neo in Formula E in Marrakesh, I think at the start of 2019, I think it was. Um it was already a goal of mine, I'd probably say at the end of my GP3 season that year in 2018, that, that you know, Formula One is probably not going to be where I end up, not because of ability, but just because the, the chance of it happening, you know, is very slim. So what, what's, what's the, the, you know, the next world championship? What's the next thing? I, you know, I, I want to race and, and pitch myself against the world's best. And that is Formula E. Um, so I've, I've ever since that period, ever since that rookie test, especially in 2019, it's been about putting myself in a position um, to, you know, if the opportunity became available to be able to execute, to go through the back door, so to speak, in some ways, because I wasn't going to be able to do it on peak results in, in Formula 3 and Formula 2 because I didn't have the race, I didn't have the race car to go out and do it. So how, how do I, how do I go about, you know, doing it without that and it was going in through the back door it was being a simulator driver first it was you know impressing on the simulator then it was like getting the promotion to reserve driver development driver test driver and being at the track for two years like I did you know the the the, the two years with HWA and F3 
some people might say, well, why did you why did you do that after your GP3 season the previous year in, in 2018? And it was because HWA were running the Mercedes program for Formula E. Um, they entered in in season five as the, as their own team, but it was it was with the in mind to run the Mercedes program in season six to season seven. So when I got the option to race for Formula Three, it was in HWA. It was actually the reason I did it was to get in the back door of Mercedes in Formula E. That was my way in. Effectively, yeah, formally it's great to be able to race and keep sharp and hope that, you know, if the car's good, then I can maybe win the championship. But it was because they would put me on the simulator, they would take me to the racetracks, they would introduce me to the right people. And that was what that was all about. You know, I did two years of simulator. Then because I'd impressed on the simulator, I got the, the reserve driver role with Mercedes, but placed at Venturi uh, for season seven, I think it was. And then the full-time reserve role in season eight for Mercedes. and. Because again, I impressed in those three or four years when the seat became available that Mercedes transferred to McLaren. Um, they, the team all knew me. They knew how good I was in the simulator. They'd seen me in some small tests in the real car and they thought, you know, do you know what? Let Jake deserve his chance. And that's how it comes about. Credit to you, man, because I'm sure there's plenty of drivers who have had, you know, all of your ability, but haven't necessarily utilized those opportunities and, and, I guess kind of thought strategically and put the unglamorous graph that you have to behind the scenes, right? To, to get to where you are now. Um, transitioning to Formula E, how has that been, you know, adapting to this type of car where, you know, there's there's no gearbox, you can't really rely on like an engine note as you're, as you're driving, the way the power's delivered is totally different, obviously new generation cars as well. Um, how have you found that transition going from what you knew to, because I, I guess it's it's kind of new for everyone as well, right? Yeah, it's it's very different Formula E. I think, like I said, I've had the the not the luxury, but the um, the benefit, let's say, of you know, it was my strategy to spend three or four years in the, in you know in the shadows to sort of learn and, and get in a position. And the beauty of that that when I actually get the race seat is that for in terms of as a rookie, I'm probably the most prepared rookie there's ever been in, in Formula E because I've driven God knows how thousands of simulator laps. I've learned how the energy management works and how you prepare for race weekend. I've listened to guys like Stoffel and Nick, you know, as, as, as the two race drivers at Mercedes for two years, listened in all the debriefs, asked them questions, been a sponge. So now that I'm arrived in Formula E as my own, as a race driver myself, it's been, you know, quite smooth so far. That being said, there's, there's, it's so challenging, Formula E. It's it's like nothing you you ever drive until you get there. You know, there's no junior category. It's completely on its own. The tracks are so special. The level of drivers is is off the chart. Tough, you know, in terms of um, level, is off the chart high. The teams are, are very good at what they do, all of them. So, and then because the the differences in the cars are much smaller than what you might find in something like Formula One or, or IndyCar, I don't know. Um, it's it's the the teams really put a lot of weight on getting the right driver um, because if, if you're not good enough, if you're not ready enough, you will get found out in Formula E. So it's been tough in that respect. That at the same time, it's been a it's been obviously a new set of regulations with 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 Gen Three. It's the perfect time for a rookie to come in um, because I'm not four years behind that I would have been if I joined. You know, in the previous year, I'm starting from a fresh of everybody else. And it's just less disadvantage. There's no, there's no advantage of me being a rookie. You know, they're all they're all top level racing drivers. They should be able to adapt to a gen from a gen two to gen three um, with no, you know, no disadvantage. So 
it, it's just a bit closer to being an equal playing field. But I am a rookie. I am still having to, you know, to overcome, you know, rookiness, let's say, here and there. Um, but the the experience in the car so far has been very smooth. You know, it suits, seems to suit my driving style quite well. I can't really put uh, put my finger on why. Um, you know, many people have asked me that question because obviously, on, especially on short runs and, and qualifying performances, I've been very competitive. Um, but I, I don't really understand why. To be honest, I think it's just that I finally got a race car that's competitive. Um, and I've, I'm able to go out and execute it. You know, those performances in F, Free where I felt like I would be doing very good laps and still qualifying eighth and ninth and tenth. Um, you know, no one no one sees them. Whereas now I've got a proper race car for uh, you know world class team in McLaren, and my ability can shine through. That's that's how I see it personally. Um, but yeah, the car is very strange. Not strange, but it's different. It's very different. And and you're you're currently sitting. I think at the time of recording today, what's the date today? It's the 15th of Feb. So you're, you're seventh in the championship. McLaren are fourth in the team's championship. We've got Cape Town coming up. H- how do you assess your um, performance so far? And, and what are the expectations for the rest of the year? Now that you've had a couple of races and you're starting to get into it and you can see how the championship works, where do you, what will success look like to you come the end of the season? Yeah, I've been guilty in the past of setting like peak, you know, goals in terms and very lofty ones and then and it's no different for me in Formula E you know I do want to win the championship I do want to win races in my rookie year that 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 you know that the back of my mind exists but I feel like in the last two or three years especially I've been I've I've sort of been very good uh, in terms of how I go about preparing myself mentally for for races and race weekends Um, I feel like I'm very level-headed now and it comes from effectively I, I look within myself as targets now um you know i look at the performances rather than the results as goals um and you know when it's when it comes to like things like qualifying you know a lot of people have asked me already this year how come you can keep delivering you know in those pressurized moments and you know they've got one lap to do it and you're sitting p8 nine in group and i end up being fastest and it's just because i, I look at it from a point that well if I do absolutely everything I can do in the car to deliver and don't leave anything on the table, then there's a very good chance that it's going to go well for me. And if it doesn't, and if I, if I achieve that and it doesn't go well for me, then it's just, you know, because I'm in a high level championship and, you know, sod's law and I'll get, I'll get them next time sort of thing. So I haven't really felt the pressure because of that. I don't think because I'm not looking externally um, at what the expectation is of myself. I'm just looking at what I think I'm capable of. That being said, um yeah when the season does start so well and you're you know you're especially in qualifying and in the race I'm learning all the time and, and picking up things that, that will no doubt help me achieve the, those peak results sooner and sitting you know seventh in the championship the the goal the, the mind does sort of start to wander a little bit in terms of what might be possible um I'm trying to sort of keep a lid on it at the moment and sort of say well you know I still haven't been on the podium I still haven't won a race though those those will be like the the things that come first and I'm just trying to focus on being a consistent point scorer and that you know if I'm a consistent point scorer looking in and around the top five in every race then you know that's going to be put me in a very good position come the end of the season um I think you know India was a shame in terms of what happened but we were definitely good enough to be fighting for the top five again so if we if we keep putting up that level then you never know what might be what might be possible 
do you um do you still give yourself time to 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 enjoy it and, and to love what you do because i imagine as you move especially as you move up the uh that the ladder and you know Formula E is is one of the biggest motorsports in the world. Um, the expectation, the pressure, I'm sure you must put on yourself and you feel around you. You know, can you still can you still find that enjoyment um, even when you're not necessarily like say not not quite yet on the podium, not quite winning races just yet? I, honestly, I'm loving it. Um, I'm I'm over the moon and buzzing all every single day. I'm at the at the racetrack. Um, you know, it's because it's been my goal for so long and. You know, maybe we have the, another do another podcast in three or four years or whatever, and I've settled in fully, and you know, maybe won a championship, won a few races, and and then the, maybe the you know the expectation and what you know makes you happy is is changing. But right now, um, it, because it's been my goal for four years just to be here for McLaren, I'm just loving it. So I'm not. I, I think that's helping me not look or target for 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 results in some ways. I'm just going out there and thinking, right, well, you know, what what else would I love to? Would I rather be doing right now and going out on a qualifying lap? I'm, you know, one lap to go and qualifying, one minute to go. God deliver a lap. Like I, I, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else in my life. So I'm, I'm just sort of the pressure doesn't seem to be hitting me at all at the moment. Um, which is obviously a positive and something I need to try and keep keep going. But um, you know, even the even in India where where we got I was fastest in the qualifying group, but then obviously with a with a small mistake from from um, from a missed, from a timing point of view meant that we got disqualified effectively from qualifying. You know that that could have uh, I think on for a different driver might uh, might have dealt with that very different. But for me, I was just sort of looking at it going well, you know that that's racing. I achieved, you know, from my side, I felt like I did a very good job to top the qualifying group and it's out of my control. So I'm going to go out there and enjoy the race like I would do if I was on pole. Um, and I think like, like I keep alluding to this sort of, let's say, anchor of, of just looking at myself and, and trying to achieve my best performance every single time I, I turn the wheel. It's sort of helping me stay very level-headed at the moment. It's very good. I love love the positive attitude. Now we have a uh, a final three questions which we ask all of our guests that come on, and they throw up a myriad of different answers. So um, we'll uh, we'll let you get on after we've hit these final three. I'll kick off this week uh, with the first one, uh, Jake. What's got you excited at this very moment? It could be anything, race related or non race related. What's got you excited? Uh, I've just bought a new bike. Um. So I'm very excited. I'm ridden it. Are we talking? Are we talking motorbike no, or cycling? No, bike? cycling. It was a, that was actually um, uh, an agreement with my mother that if I start karting, then I'll never own a motorbike. So that that's on ban for motorbikes. So yeah, push push bike. But um, yeah, I bought it a couple of days ago. I haven't yet ridden it yet. So that's getting me very excited. What what kind? Of, is it like a mountain bike or is it one of them really quick road bikes? It's a, it's a gravel bike, so I, I love cycling anyway. So I've had the I've got a road bike still, um, but my friends or cycling friends, let's say, um, have been pushing me to get a gravel bike for for a while now, and I've never really thought like I would uh, enjoy uh, like see the see the what's the word like the the fun of it almost because um, I just like going fast. So I don't like the, I didn't think I liked the idea of having big, t- chunky tires and riding off road. I just like going 35 kph, you know, down a hill or something like that. But I've been slowly, slowly turned into enjoying gravel riding. So I've just bought a gravel bike for that love purpose. It, love it. Right. Next question. Um, how much of your success do you put down to to luck and things outside of your control versus 
graft and hard work? Um, very little to look, to be honest. Um, you know, I've, I've, I feel like in terms of sort of drivers that have got to a similar level as me, I'd be very surprised if any have had to work harder. Um, you know, that's not to say that, uh, that I'm the only one that works hard. It's just that, you know, I haven't, I had, like said, the privilege and the means to be able to compete at the very lower level of, of most sport and karting and Formula 4. Um, but, you know, there is levels to it and I wasn't able to be at that, you know, level or means or possibility when I got to Formula 3, Formula 2 and closer to, to World Championship level motorsport, professional motorsport. So those, since, like I said earlier, since 2016, it's been all about how hard I can work. I've been begging, I've been clawing, I've been, you know, call, calling, emailing it almost on a daily basis sometimes. You know, spent, like I said, spent Christmases, you know, not knowing if my career was over, um, you know, having to do 70, 80 days of simulator a season. It's, it's you know, I I feel like of all the people that have got to a level I've got to, that I, I am up there with deserving it just for the hard work in general. So um, I'm trying to think of some luck that's gone gone my way sometimes. That, and there will be in races and stuff like that, but I attribute very, very little to luck. Very good. Now, um, final question for you, and you're not allowed to say heights because I saw that on your, um, on what I think it's your profile on your website. Um, so what are you scared of, but not heights? Um, oh yeah, heights is always the one, but um, spiders, I hate spiders. Spiders, actually, I, I'm petrified of spiders, and I don't feel ashamed to say this. But my girlfriend is the one that gets the spiders. Ah, that's terrible. Like, I, I just, yeah, no, it's, I, I don't even care, mate. I don't even care. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere near them. Um, everyone can ridicule me in the comments as much as they want. You know, trying to say it's it's the boyfriend. So I don't care. I don't care what anyone says. I'm not doing it. Ah. <laughs> Demasculated. Oh, my my mum's uh, actually. My mum picks them up with her bare hand. Like, oh, no, she's she's got no chill. No, she's straight in. Bosh, done. No, <laughs> no. Nope. no, absolutely no chance. I could never live in Australia for that reason. <laughs> no, everything tries to kill you in Australia. Just stay away from that place. It's, exactly, it's, it's not wise. But listen, Jake, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I, I love your attitude to racing. You are clearly one of the hardest, pe- hardest working people, um, in motorsport, and um, and a shining example and a great case study of it's never too late. You know, th- there's Definitely. so many drivers that we've spoken to on here. Like Thomas said earlier, have started like four, five, six years old in carts, um, and have fallen by the wayside and and haven't made it through. You know, you've started later and have made it and continue to make it so um, all the best for the rest of the season with McLaren in Formula E and uh, long may your success continue um, and I'm sure we'll speak again but for now thanks so much for joining us on the Motormouth podcast thank you very much guys I enjoyed it see you soon thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook just search Motormouth you can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 